report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Hello, winter. Good afternoon. Welcome aboard. The shortest day of the year is here. The winter solstice officially arriving at 1027 tonight. Oddly enough, it's about to feel a lot more like spring than winter. A gradual warming trend will send our temperatures soaring to 50 degrees or more by Christmas Day. Open presents in the morning. Play baseball in the afternoon, I guess. Starting tomorrow, we gain about a minute of daylight each and every day until the summer solstice in June. Our besieged southern border saw a record number of migrant encounters this week. Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez says the border towns are overrun and overwhelmed. You cannot go to the hospital because there are no beds, because all the beds are filled. I'm not making this up. This is where we're at. He calls it an invasion at the place where the U.S. meets Mexico. There's more people in the pipeline, and I suspect Christmas will be worse than today, and New Year's will be worse than today. We're going the absolute wrong direction. Because of the overflow, Texas Governor Greg Abbott's begun flying migrants to cities like Chicago. Griff Jenkins at Fox News. Abbott says he's already sent 24,500 migrants to the Windy City, and this latest flight originating in El Paso adds 120 more to an already overwhelmed migrant crisis in Chicago. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson. The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. City Alderman Ramon Lopez. My mayor is blaming everyone except the person who needs to get the blame, and that is President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who are responsible. On Monday, more than 12,500 illegal immigrants tried to enter this country through Eagle Pass, Texas. Immigration officials have closed several points of entry now to try and slow the flow. Israel says it's on the verge of ending major combat operations in northern Gaza. In the south, the IDF continues house-to-house street fighting with Hamas. Secretary of State Blinken laments the fact that the international community is not more condemning of Hamas. I hear virtually no one saying, demanding of Hamas, that it stop hiding behind civilians, that it lay down its arms. That is surrender. Today, Hamas rejected Israel's latest offer of a seven-day ceasefire in exchange for the release of 40 hostages. Hamas says no hostages will be freed until the war is officially over with. Hamas's sick tactic throughout this process is to invoke as much humanitarian damage as possible so that ultimately it can win on the battlefield of public opinion. Hamas is not in this war for the usual reasons to seek land, people, wealth. Its sole goal is to eliminate Israel. Hugh Dugan's a former U.S. delegate to the U.N. It's get-out-of-dodge time if you're headed home for the holidays. Reporter Wendy Gillette has some advice for those of you who are flying. Today and tomorrow will be the busiest travel days of the holiday week, when over 3.7 million passengers depart U.S. airports both days. Economist Haley Berg. If you are planning to travel ahead of the holiday weekend, expect longer lines and get to the airport early. Atlanta will be the busiest 
busiest airport, with almost one and a half million passengers departing this holiday week. And if you're driving for the holidays, experts say the worst time to be on the roads will be this Saturday from 11 a.m. till 7 p.m. Thousands of Mainers are still in the dark several days after that crippling nor'easter. Katie Byrne with Fox Weather. A lot of people have been talking about just how much this has impacted them, their businesses, their homes submerged in water. They're worried about going another day or two or potentially three days without heat in their homes, especially as we get into the weekend, which we know brings us to Christmas Eve. The governor of Maine warns some people won't get their lights back on till after Christmas. Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, planning to deploy a half million troops as he fights to drive out the Russian invaders. And apparently the Russian invaders are being mowed down by something other than Ukrainian soldiers. An outbreak of so-called mouse fever is spreading along the front lines. That disease causes people to bleed from the eyes, vomit, and experience severe migraines. Also from Ukraine, Christmas has come early this year. Rejecting the Russian Orthodox Christmas date of January 7th, this year Ukrainians will celebrate on December 25th. This isn't anti-Russian propaganda. This priest says it's important that we have our own separate Christmas. Yes, I'll be celebrating with my family on the 25th, this soldier says. Beside him, his comrade says, I'll be celebrating both dates in the same place, in the trenches. Vicky Barker, London. Ten Americans in custody in Venezuela have won their freedom in a controversial prisoner swap. Among those let go was this guy, Avon Hernandez, a public defender from Los Angeles. Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, free at last. In exchange for his and the others' freedom, the Biden administration has let go a close ally of Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro. Here's reporter Monica Alba. The statement President Biden vowed to still remain very focused on securing the release of other wrongfully detained Americans around the world. Americans like Dansville, New York native Ryan Corbett. Christmas Eve will mark 500 days of captivity for him. He's being held by the Taliban in Afghanistan. Rite Aid's been banned from using facial recognition technology for five years. The drugstore chain and the FTC reached a settlement after a complaint alleged that it was using AI-based software to profile shoppers deemed likely to engage in shoplifting or other criminal behavior and then keep them out of the stores. Rite Aid has agreed to a five-year ban from using facial recognition technology. The FTC also found that Rite Aid unfairly zeroed in on people of color. In some cases, Rite Aid is accused of falsely accusing people of criminal activity in public in front of others. The FTC said some were also wrongfully detained and searched. Aaron Rayall with that report. Toyota recalling over a million vehicles because of a sensor issue, which can cause airbags not to deploy correctly in the event of an accident. That recall covers more than a half dozen Toyota models from 2020 to last year. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich hopes the U.S. Supreme Court will act soon to overturn a ruling in Colorado that keeps Donald Trump off the primary ballot. A million 360,000 Coloradans voted for Donald 
Donald Trump in the last election. Four lawyers want to block him from being on the ballot. The American people are not going to tolerate being told that they're not allowed to have a choice for who they want to have as president. This is not Venezuela. It's not Nicaragua. It's not Cuba. And I think the Democrats are dangerously close to causing the kind of confrontation that would be truly disastrous for the country. American voters are evenly divided if the 2024 presidential election winds up being a rematch of the 2020 presidential election. Quinnipiac pollster Tim Malloy says it's a virtual dead heat, with Biden receiving 47 percent of support and Trump receiving 46 percent. And Trump is polling far more favorably than other GOP members vying for the presidency. So much can happen in the next 10 and a half, 11 months. I mean, there's court cases. Both the, both the two leading candidates are older men. You've got Neely, Nikki Haley rising. The world is on fire. There's two wars on two fronts. In a three-party race, independent Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is polling at 16 percent, with Trump receiving 38 percent and Biden receiving 36 percent. I'm Natalie Migliori. Health experts fear Christmas gatherings over the coming days will become a breeding ground for the highly contagious new COVID variant. Dr. Peter Holtz is an infectious disease expert. It is highly transmissible. So as we head into the holidays, people are getting together. I worry we're going to see a pretty big surge in cases. This new JN1 strain expected to become the dominant strain of COVID within a week. If you sent or received a Christmas card this year, you are following a tradition that's been around for generations. Historian Anne Eflund. The first one was made in 1843, and it featured a picture of a family toasting the recipient of the card for Christmas, and it was criticized widely for promoting drinking. She says before the 1840s, people sent Christmas letters, not Christmas cards. The first Christmas card in this country showed up in the year 1851. Still to come on the Noon Report, gas land back in the gas drilling business. Buffalo blizzard one year later, and why it's good to sleep in on the weekend. A good afternoon to all. I'm Kevin Williams, calling for some quiet weathers we close out the last work week of the year. I'll have forecast details coming up. All right, Kevin, thank you. This weekend marks the one-year anniversary of the infamous Buffalo blizzard that killed nearly 50 people in and around the Queen City. Brian Hayden with the Buffalo History Museum is collecting artifacts that were donated by those who lived through the storm. It was our responsibility as a history museum to document that and to make sure that this history that we live through last December was recorded. That way, future generations would better understand, you know, what happened on the 23rd and 24th of December of 2022. The four-day blizzard featured blinding snow, sub-zero wind chills. Hayden's collected over 100 artifacts. You can go to the Buffalo History Museum website to check out the videos and photos. New York's Comptroller Tom DiNapoli says the state health department needs to do more to resolve unresolved pandemic-related issues at nursing homes. We still feel that more needs to be done to make sure that uh, data is being collected, that the data is accurate, particularly with regard to outbreaks of infection, and at the nursing home level that there's more guidance to be sure that they are responding and reporting. Last March, DiNapoli cited former Governor Cuomo for under-reporting COVID deaths at nursing homes by as much as 50%. There's still you know, some questions from uh, 
the depths of the COVID emergency. We know folks that lost loved ones in nursing homes still haven't gotten a clear answer. The ex-governor came under fire for ordering COVID patients into nursing homes instead of hospitals during the early days of the pandemic. Gasland is back in the gas drilling business in Pennsylvania's northern tier. Yeah, Bob, one of Pennsylvania's leading natural gas companies is poised to drill and frack again in the rural community where it was banned from doing so for a dozen years for polluting the water. Kutera Energy has won permission from the state to drill a dozen gas wells underneath Dimmick Township in northeastern Pennsylvania. That's the sweet spot for the largest deposit of natural gas in the country. Some landowners can't wait for the Houston-based company to resume production. Others, though, in Dimmick dread the industry's return, citing truck traffic, noise pollution, and the threat of new contamination. Dimmick became ground zero in a national debate over fracking after residents began reporting methane in the water that was making them sick. The Oscar-winning film Gasland showed some residents lighting their tap water on fire. Experts say Dimmick's natural gas could be worth nearly $4 billion. It's part of the Marcellus Shale Formation that helped spur a drilling boom in Pennsylvania 20 years ago. Mark Webster, Family Life News. Thank you, Mark. New York's population continues to nosedive. The latest U.S. Census data shows more New Yorkers are moving out than anywhere else in the entire country. The new U.S. Census Bureau report showing the Empire State lost more than 100,000 people between July this year and the last. One of eight states which saw their populations fall this year behind New York or other Democrat-run states, California, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. Meanwhile, Two Republican-led states, Texas and Florida, saw the largest population growth. Correspondent C.B. Cotton, business leaders in New York are no fans of the state's new minimum wage hike, which they say will hurt the very people it's intended to help because they'll have to reduce their staff. You add up all these costs, and, and we have the, the, the death by a thousand cuts for, for a lot of businesses in New York State. Frank Kerbin with the Business Council of New York, but for local Starbucks barista Brandy Quinn, the pay hike is much needed. My coworkers and I, we enjoy our job that we're doing, but we just don't make enough to do it in a sustainable way. Starting January 1st, the minimum wage upstate will increase to $15 an hour. A federal judge has ordered Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry turn over to the FBI more than 1,600 texts and emails. Perry's accused of running interference on behalf of former President Trump during the 2020 presidential election. He denies the charges. A 15-year-old JV basketball player suffered a cardiac arrest in the middle of a game last night in Rochester, New York. Jackie Napier with Wham News says the young boy's heart stopped beating during the game between Monroe High School and the Rochester School of the Arts. A school security officer and an athletic trainer performed life-saving efforts on the JV basketball player using an AED to successfully revive him. The boy was responsive by the time he got into the ambulance, state law in New York requires AEDs, automatic external defibrillators, at all sporting events. An accident yesterday in western Pennsylvania led to a big but sweet cleanup. You could call it crash a la mode. Interstate 80 in Pennsylvania was closed for around three hours Wednesday morning after a tractor trailer carrying nearly 20 tons of ice cream overturned. According to the Emlinton Fire Department on Facebook, the crash happened near mile marker 44 on I-80 westbound at the Emlinton Bridge. The semi was carrying 39,000 pounds of ice cream, which equates to just under 20 tons. Officials say that despite the mess, no one was injured in the crash. 
Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. Sleeping longer on the weekend can help prevent heart attacks. Researchers say just one extra hour of sleep on Saturdays and Sundays can lower your risk of cardiovascular disease. The reduced risk is most significant for those who get less than six hours of sleep on weekdays. Sports is next. It's the two-minute drill on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, for the first time in four years, the Knicks have won in Brooklyn. Julius Randle had 26 points. Dante DiVincenzo had 23. Emmanuel quickly scored 19. And Jalen Brunson finished with 16 as the Knicks ended a nine-game losing streak at Barclays Center, 121-102 against the Nets. In Philadelphia, Joel Embiid went off again for for the 76ers. He had 51 points, knocking down 17 of 18 free throw attempts. Tyrese Maxey had five threes on his way to a 35-point night. The Sixers won their seventh game out of their last eight, beating the T-Wolves 127-113. The loss snaps Minnesota's three-game win streak. On the ice, the Caps edge the Islanders in overtime 3-2. Hudson Fashing and Anders Lee lit the lamp for New York. The Jets down the Red Wings 5-2, and the Kraken eked out a 2-1 victory over the Kings. And in baseball, the Mets have acquired a pair of veteran players from the Brewers. Milwaukee traded Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor to New York in exchange for minor leaguer Coleman Kroll. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, a Christmas symbol turns 800 years old. Warmer weather for your Christmas weekend and what children really want for Christmas. It's a powerful reminder of the true meaning of Christmas. We've got the story after this. We're going to break point a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In December of 1791, the Bill of Rights was ratified by the United States. Though these 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution are rarely mentioned after high school civics class, recent events, both here and abroad, offer a glimpse of life without those rights and a reminder of why they're so important as a defense against ideological overreach. If a proposed new law passes the legislative process in Ireland, the famous Irish gift of gab will now require government approval. As Kristen Wagoner of Alliance Defending Freedom recently noted in a Newsweek article, this potential restriction is, at best, vague. Even though it targets hate, it never even defines what hate is. Here's how she put it. Quote, How's it possible to know what kind of speech could be subject to prosecution? Given that so-called hate is an impossible word to define in law and is not defined in this bill, this paves the way for basically any expression considered unfavorable to be prosecuted in the future. End quote. Vagueness in a national law is, in practice, just an open invitation for state-based abuse. Yet, that's not this particular law's only problem. If it goes forward, refusing to give the police your password if they have a search warrant could be treated as a crime. Merely possessing material that's quote-unquote likely to incite violence or hatred could get you two years in jail. In other words, according to the proposed law, a crime doesn't even have to involve actually hating anyone or saying something that could be hateful. Anything that the powers that be think could possibly be interpreted as hateful could be sufficient. It's no wonder that Wagoner then added, quote, it's not hard to imagine Ireland rapidly descending into an authoritarian state with the passage of this law. 
end quote. Back in June, Pauline O'Reilly of the Green Party defended the proposed law with a line taken directly out of a totalitarian playbook. Quote, we are restricting freedom, she said, but we're doing it for the common good. This would include curtailing rights guaranteed by the Irish Constitution if, quote, people's views on others cause them deep discomfort, she said. Again, under this view, no crime has to actually be committed as long as someone has been experiencing deep discomfort. This kind of scrutiny will, of course, target some and not others. After all, to paraphrase George Orwell's great line from Animal Farm, all discomfort is equally wrong, but some more equal than others. The First Amendment has so far been an effective barrier against unnecessary limits on freedoms, even when done, quote unquote, for our good. On the other hand, situations in European countries, countries that lack anything like our First Amendment, not to mention what we've seen with selective censorship at American elite universities, exposes just how much can go wrong when there's nothing to limit the people in power from acting for our own good. C.S. Lewis put it this way in God in the Dock, quote, Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good were torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience, end quote. The reason that the speech protections of the First Amendment with its guarantees for liberties of conscience do not exclude speech that's merely offensive is that inoffensive speech doesn't need protection. By allowing potentially and even truly wrong things to be said, the Bill of Rights ensures space for the truth to be heard. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. Our call for this afternoon, clouds and sunshine with high temperatures in the 30s to near 40. Mainly clear cold tonight as low temperatures dip toward 20 for some. Tomorrow, a deal of sunshine. High temps, 30s to near 40. On Saturday, mainly cloudy. Chance of a rain or snow shower in parts of New York State. High temperatures on Saturday in the mid-30s to the middle 40s. Thank you, Kevin. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm your host, Bob Price. So glad to have you with us today, Thursday. Thursday, the 21st of December, the first official day of winter, the shortest day of the year. More sun starts tomorrow. Next from us, a symbol of the holidays. It's marking an important milestone this year. The nativity scene turns 800 this year. I talked about it earlier today with author and historian Laurel Gillen. Here's some of our conversation. St. Francis of Assisi gets the credit for displaying the first crash in a cave in Italy back in the year 1223. Let's talk about that, if you would. The picture that we have in mind, Laura, when we think of uh, what a typical nativity scene might look like, the donkey, the camel, the shepherd, the three wise men, Joseph, Mary, the baby Jesus, I think I got them all there. Uh, how realistic is it uh, that when we compare that to what that scene most likely was like in that little town of Bethlehem when the Christ child was born. Well, Bob, thanks for having me on. Tradition and history say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a cave where animals would have been stabled, and he was laid in a manger, which people should realize that's an animal feeding trough. That's what a manger is. Yeah. It's where they, you know, throw the food. 
Um, it was the time of the census, so Bethlehem was crowded with travelers, so it was likely the stable held a few donkeys and oxen, because that was, those were the main means of transporting people and goods for most Jewish people at the time. And following his birth, shepherds were told by angels that he'd been born and they came to see him. So over the years, people have added camels, you know, to the nativity, because they were used in caravans in the Middle East, and uh, they've added wise men who arrived in Bethlehem, although much later. And Francis recreated the scene. He was inspired by his trip to the Holy Land, and we know from reports that he included an ox and a donkey and a manger, and it was in a mountain cave in a little town called Grecio. So did we have any depictions of that scene prior to Francis of Assisi? Because we're talking for a millennium after the birth of Christ, we get that first, what we consider today a nativity scene. Anything prior to Francis of Assisi that we know of depicting what that scene might have looked like in Bethlehem? Well, there may have been depictions in the Holy Land. He may have seen something like that, but it was very much off. This was the time of the Crusades, so it was not a place people visited for a pilgrimage very often. Sure. Um, he was able to get in because he kind of charmed the Sultan. And then, you know, churches would have had paintings depicting this and possibly statues, but it wasn't something that common people or little churches in the countryside or towns or villages would have created. Yeah. So this was brand new, and they, it was just, you know, it, it went viral, so to speak, <laughs> right after he did that. Everybody wanted yeah. to do this. I love it. Um, it went viral. Uh, but this kind of the backdrop of your book, 800 years after the first nativity scene, you've written A Bellwether Christmas. Uh, this is set in medieval Italy. You, you had already mentioned that the nativity scene was most likely in a cave. Uh, explain a little bit, uh, Laurel, the, the, the main character in this book and the message that you're trying to get across. Well, A Bellwether Christmas is a work of fiction, which was written for the whole family, and it's set in the year 1223, leading up to when Francis of Assisi would be unveiling this nativity scene. But it follows the adventures of this headstrong orphaned lamb named Bart, who feels like he doesn't belong and wants really wants to fit in, but he's very impulsive and curious, and his ability to escape from pens and through fences is always getting him in trouble. He stumbles across some wild animals, one by one, who tell him about a man from Assisi who can speak to and understands animals. So he thinks, well, I've got to meet this man. He's going to answer all my questions. Um, and he knows he has to do that by Christmas. But as you see, if you read the book, it's going to take all his courage and resourcefulness yeah. uh, to get there. The message of this book is kind of twofold. There's an underlying theme that all God's creatures are precious and they belong to him. But the main message that uh, Bart's character discovers is that if you're willing to make sacrifices for your friends, then you're giving them the gift of love. And mm. that is really what Christmas is all about. Yeah, I love it. Back to the classic nativity scene. It's kind of interesting. You know, I was reading the other day, like, in French New Orleans, Cajun Louisiana, they put alligators in their nativity scene. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure how, how close to the real thing that was. I'm not sure if alligators were a thing back then, but um, what are some more interesting nativity scenes, Laurel, that you have witnessed throughout your travels all over this world? Well, you know, I haven't traveled a lot during Christmas, but I have traveled to Spain during Christmas, and I would have to say when it comes to nativity scenes, Spain goes all out. They have living nativities at all their Christmas markets. And, you know, here in the U.S., you know how people like to collect and put together these snowy Christmas villages that have little cute little houses and yeah. the snow and the trains. 
Well, in Spain, they like to assemble what they call Belens. It's not just a nativity scene. It's a whole Bethlehem village. So they have miniature Middle Eastern houses with women baking at outdoor ovens and blacksmiths at forges and camel caravans and Roman soldiers patrolling on horseback. I've seen Belen collections that take up a whole room. And if you ever go to Spain in the, around Christmas time, and of course their Christmas lasts until the 5th of January, you'll see what I've mentioned. Yeah, it's so neat to see other cultures and how they, we've kind of westernized uh, uh, this whole story. But, and, and not just westernized, we've romanticized so much of what the Christmas yes. story is. You talked about the manger there and how we've, you know, it was where they threw the food for the cows. So uh, just know that the smells, the, the just the awfulness of that time, um, you know, what it must have been like for King Jesus to come into this world, harsh and bleak, to say the least. As you reflect, Laurel, on the Christmas story in 2023, what still amazes you the most? I think I'm most amazed by the humility that God took upon himself to come to earth as this helpless human baby, you know, born in a poor family, lying there among what were considered lowly animals. It was such an incredible thing for the king of the universe to do, and he he did it for us. He became one of us. And he also, in a way, kind of honored the humble by doing that. And when the villagers of Grecio, Italy, saw that in the nativity scene that Francis and his brothers created 800 years ago this Christmas, I think it brought it all home to them and affected them really deeply. And I think nativity scenes, living or not, can kind of still bring us that message today and really bring that message home. Amen. Laurel Gillen, author of A Bellwether Christmas, a, a fresh look at this staple of our holiday 800 years later. Laurel, uh, about a minute to go, any final thoughts? Well, I was just going to kind of encourage people the same way. I, my husband and I love Christmas books and movies, but we have a hard time finding ones that are truly about Christmas itself and the Christmas message. And that's one of the reasons I wrote A Bellwether Christmas, because I wanted to write a heartwarming tale that ended up being an award-winning tale. Mm. And it's set in this fascinating time that I love in history with a true Christmas message. And it's something that parents, grandparents, older children can all enjoy for Christmas. That is author Laurel Gillen on this year's 800th anniversary of The Nativity Scene. You're plugged into the Noon Report on Family Life. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. At 1027 this evening, we mark the arrival of winter. And though there is a chill in the air now, there's no harsh winter weather or big ticket winter items due for the next several days. Good news for those traveling ahead of Christmas. Our call for this afternoon, clouds and sunshine with high temperatures in the 30s to near 40. Mainly clear cold tonight as low temperatures dip toward 20 for some. For tomorrow, good deal of sunshine. High temps, 30s to near 40. On Saturday, mainly cloudy. Chance of a rain or snow shower in parts of New York State. High temperatures on Saturday in the mid-30s to the middle 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you. Finally, some perspective on the true meaning of Christmas from children in need at a boys and girls club in Atlanta, Georgia. They give some absolutely amazing answers when confronted with the very difficult question at that age about whether or not it's better to give or receive. Take a listen to their answers. You can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. Oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. That one. That one. 
choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. I get a laptop. My mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I, I have the opportunity to give them something. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and wow. thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family, everything. It is better to give than receive. That, folks, is the true meaning of Christmas. And that's our world, the world we live in, Thursday, December 21st. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.